Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. We are so grateful for all that God is doing in our midst. Uh, If you're saved, uh, shout amen this morning. Hallelujah. Thank God for His mercy. I want to say once again, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. We have some families traveling this morning, and uh, so please pray for them as they're heading back um, uh, back into town after, uh, after some travel. But let's, um, let's open up our Bibles today. We want to look together in the Word of God. I want to ask you to turn to the book of John, chapter 13. If you join me there, John chapter 13. And so this uh, message was inspired by a, um, an interview that I did with a pastor recently. And uh, I'll give a, a quick plug for the podcast that our church does. Uh, we do an interview with a pastor uh, as often as we can, hopefully every week, but it doesn't happen every week. But uh, I'm always blown away by the stories of the pastors that God has given to us in our fellowship. And as I was uh, having this conversation... I was inspired about how a church and how the kingdom of God is able to advertise. All right? So as a pastor, and hopefully you also as as a believer, as a member of the church, we are often thinking, what's the best way to get the message of the gospel in front of as many people as possible? How do we get the word out about the good news of Jesus risen from the dead? How do we get that news into as many people's hearts as possible? And uh, uh, there are many churches, and ours included, that have contemplated, uh, how do we do that? Do we, there is a component of marketing and advertising that churches often think about. And so we have, in the past, we've done different things, different strategies to try to reach our community. We have sent mailers out to the church at great cost. You know, we we purchased uh, postcards and put them into mailboxes. We have put signs and banners on the side of the road with with an inspiring message. We have even purchased online advertising. We have have paid to get our message in front of uh, people online, on Facebook, on Google, and Instagram. Uh, and even there have been times when the local news stations have wanted to interview uh, the pastor, and uh, and so we, we got our got our name out there a little bit from a from a news report, and that was very interesting during the COVID time. Uh, but you know, as I'm thinking about that, how many understand this morning that in the Book of Acts, the church never had to put an ad in the newspaper. The the early disciples. They never had to uh, put together a, you know, a scroll and post it in the town square. There was a powerful move of God that was happening in their midst that did not require 
any greater advertising. You know, here in our church, we practice the weekly conviction of a corporate uh, witness, a corporate time that we come together to share the gospel. Even just yesterday, we went to a local neighborhood where, close to where I live, and uh, we knocked on some doors. We told people about Jesus. I heard some good reports of people who were open to the gospel. And this is powerful. This is powerful because it causes everyone who is involved with that to exercise our faith, to be bold in our witness. It causes those who uh, we speak to, uh, there's a confrontation of the gospel. Uh, We are inviting people to church. All of these are wonderful things. But I want to say to you this morning that none of them can replace the best advertisement that we have in our arsenal. What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. I want to talk about this interview that I had with evangelist Andre Brooks. He has a powerful story of how he grew up, and uh, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's on our website if you're curious. But Pastor Andre Brooks grew up in New Jersey. He grew up in a single-parent home. His father was in prison on drug charges. His mother had to work two jobs to support their family. And he described something that honestly was foreign as a concept to me, but he described growing up in his community where having a family unit where mom and dad were both together and caring about one another, he described that as an oddity, something that was out of place. He said, I saw other people who had families, who had moms and dads, Uh, The same way that I would see if somebody had a Bugatti sitting in their their driveway. So, whoa, that's really weird. Who would have something like that? Certainly not any of us normal people. And uh, so what was normal in his experience was a broken family that was struggling to get by. Or to have parents that were constantly fighting and bickering and and, uh, and not getting along well. When he got saved, he was 19 years old, somebody invited him to a New Year's Eve uh, concert at the church. 19 years old, very little experience in the religious world, never been to a church service, never, uh, never heard the gospel preached, never cracked open a Bible. But God powerfully moved on his life, and he responded to an altar call. He surrendered his life to the Lord Jesus. But then he described his very early uh, weeks and months of of serving God and what it was like. And he, he spoke specifically about two couples that were there in the Newport News Church where he got saved. The first couple was Ed and Diani Tijero. He said that this, uh, this man was the one who came and prayed with him at the altar. And he began to befriend him and disciple him and learn what it was like to be a Christian from him. And what he noticed immediately was the relationship that he had with his wife, Diani, and also, at the time, uh, other believers there in the church. Then he described how, uh, how there was a, uh, a change in his living situation. All of a sudden, he had to find a place to live and a place to stay. And so, uh, pastor at the time was Pastor James Rosario, his wife, Renee. And he said that Pastor Rosario heard about his need to find a place to stay quickly. 
and Pastor Rosario said, you're going to come live with, with us for a while. Opened up his home to evangelist Andre Brooke. And again, 19 years old, comes from a troubled background, and you think to yourself, you know, that was, that was a pretty big risk to take on. And yet, they said without any hesitation, they invited him in to live in their house, sleep on their couch, and he said the thing that, that meant the most to me was not just their hospitality, but he said, I got to observe the way they treated one another in their house. I got to observe how Pastor James treated his wife, Miss Renee, and how Miss Renee treated her husband, Pastor Rosario, and the way that both of them dealt with their children and how their children uh, acted toward their parents. And he said, this was so revolutionary to me that it began to change his character even more than the church services that he was going to. I began to think about that. Is, is it any wonder why the devil is attacking family and marriage in our culture? Because it is our best advertisement. This is exactly what we're going to read about in our scripture. Jesus said, the world will know you because of the love, the care, the concern that you have for one another. And this is the, what I want to encourage in you this morning. Uh, the new commandment of love. Let's read together John 13, just two verses there, and I want, I want to pray that God would inspire us together. John 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus, at the Last Supper, speaking to His disciples, and He says these words, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Lord, we come by the blood of Jesus. Lord, help us this morning to hear your voice, even through the preaching of your gospel, that it would be more than just pastor preaching at a church, but Lord, that your word, your spirit would be able to penetrate our hearts today. I'm praying, God, that you would raise up every relationship in this place. God, that's marriage relationships, family relationships, friendships. God, those uh, relationships that you are cultivating in the house of the living God. To realize that this is the best advertisement that we could possibly have. And I'm praying, God, that you would speak to us and convict us in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, Amen. Let's look together at this message I've titled, Together We Preach. And first of all, I want to share with you from this scripture that uh, when old things become new. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Again, this is the Last Supper. This is his final teaching to his disciples as he is preparing to go to the cross within the next 24 hours. And he is laying some heavy uh, burdens on them. He is telling them that, you know, guys, this is going to be the last time that we're going to be able to be together like this. Uh, after this, I am going away from you. Uh, after this, I'm going to the cross. After that, I will be returning to my Father. Don't worry. I'll send the Spirit to comfort and encourage you. But guys, this, there's some really important things that I want to share with you in this final teaching at this Passover ceremony. And this is one of them. Isn't it interesting? Uh, I'm, I'm amazed to look at our culture sometimes to see how fashion trends seem to swing in and out of favor. 
Isn't it amazing? You live, if you live for a certain amount of time, you'll see certain trends that go out of style for a while, and then they all of a sudden come back into style. All of a sudden, these last couple of years, I've been seeing people wearing these big old wire rim glasses, the same kind that came uh, back in the 80s when I was a kid, and I'm looking at people now, here we are 40 years later, with these big old window frame, like uh, windshields on their face, like, wow, I saw that when I was seven or eight years old. Uh, mom jeans have made a comeback. And it's, it's interesting to see, you know, uh, that when something has been out of style for a certain amount of time, all of a sudden somebody puts on grandma's glasses and it looks cool again. What was once in fashion went out of fashion and now has come back into fashion. When Jesus says this is a new commandment, it is not that this is a brand new teaching that has never been taught before. What is happening is that this commandment Jesus is about to give to his disciples has fallen out of style, has fallen out of favor, has grown old and tired and dry. See, this truth was actually taught by Moses in Leviticus 19, verse 18, when the word of the Lord says, you shall not take vengeance, you, sh- you shall not bear any grudge, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That was the laws of Moses. That was 1,400 years before Jesus. This is not a new teaching. It is just that people weren't doing it. In the 1,400 years that had passed, it had fallen out of style. Matthew Henry's commentary says that laws of revenge and retaliation were in vogue at the time. Self-love had been ascended. The laws of brotherly love had been forgotten as though obsolete and out of date. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, it seems as though it's new and fresh and unheard of at the time. And I think that many times we can compare that to our time today. We can compare that to how it is in our culture, in our world today, that the idea of self-sacrificial love, love one another as I have loved you, that that is foreign. It's a foreign concept to so many people. We live, uh, as you know, in a very selfish and narcissistic generation. A generation that is, that is uh, compelled by the love and the interest of the self that is uh, motivated by looking after one's own needs before the needs of others around you. This is the generation that says, me first, i got to take care of number one. Who's that? Well, that's, that's you. And that is a self-centered generation. And so what that means is that this kind of teaching that Jesus gives us is fresh to our ears once again in a selfish generation. I want to say that this attitude of I got to do me, I got to look out for number one because nobody else will, I want to say that that does not belong in Jesus' church. It does not fit. It is not stylish in His church. It might be stylish out in the world or in the club or in the university scene or in the, in the politics. It might be popular in the world, but Jesus is not about popularity in the world. In this kingdom, in this church, 
in this fellowship, we are about loving one another before loving self. That's why Jesus said this is new. Because to many people, this sounds strange or obsolete or out of style. A new commandment I give to you. What is it? That you love one another. That sounds nice. Oh, sounds, oh thank you, Jesus. Uh, we just want to, everybody wants to love and be loved, and it's all kind of love, and everybody's happy. But he throws this little describer in there. Watch. He says, love one another as I have loved you. Now that's where things take a turn and become extremely serious. That's where it starts to gain heaviness and weight. When Jesus says that we love one another as he has loved us, well, that is a whole other ballgame. So we have to examine this morning, how did, love, how did Christ love us? How did Christ love his disciples and by extension, how does he love his church? Well, let's examine that for a few moments and think about it. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. Well, let's think about that. In the New Testament, how much did Jesus love the disciples and what was he willing to do for them? First of all, he was willing to call them and receive them to himself. Stick with me, church. Matthew 4, verse 19, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James and John, in the boat with their father, mending their nets. And he called them. He called them. Later it says that he received them unto himself. And so just think about that for a second. We are talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The one who is the creative agent of God. Is there anything that Jesus cannot do? He cannot lie, right? He cannot sin. But in terms of his power and his ability, there is nothing beyond the power of God. Isn't that true? If Jesus wanted to build the church by himself, he could have done it. He could have provided a way of salvation all on his own. But Christ loved his disciples enough to say, hey guys, come on, let's go together. I want to bring you in on this. I'm going to call some specific people, James and John and Peter and Andrew, Bartholomew, Simon, and yes, even Judas. He loved them enough to say, I want to leave behind a legacy of ministry. I want to include these imperfect, untrained, uneducated men. I want to bring them along for this ride. Even though he didn't have to. Isn't that good news for us? <laughs> this is how much he loved his disciples that he thought, first of all, to include them. I want you to be with me, guys. Secondly, he loved them enough to teach them, to train them, to preach to them. Luke 6, 20 and 21, he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples. And he said, blessed are the poor. Theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who hunger. This is the teaching of the, the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those uh, who, who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And on he goes. On, incredible. The teaching that has echoed down through the generations as the greatest sermon ever preached. But the Bible says this was primarily directed at His disciples. He loved them enough not just to call them and include them. Hey guys, follow along and watch what I do. No, He loved them enough to teach them 
to train them, to prepare them, to preach to them. And the Bible says later on that they didn't get a lot of what Jesus taught them. They didn't get it. It it didn't sink in. It said that later, after Jesus left, it was the Holy Spirit that reminded them of all the things that Jesus taught to them. And that's why we have a New Testament that we can hold in our hands because, thank God, the Holy Spirit reminded them of all of the incredible teachings of Jesus in that very short amount of time. He loved them enough to teach them, to preach to them, to take the time out of His schedule to say, this is important to me. I want to make sure you guys have what is necessary to live for God, to thrive, to to train somebody else. Thirdly, He loved them enough to heal the multitudes. Matthew 12, 15, But when Jesus knew it, He withdrew from there. Great multitudes followed Him. Oh, I love it. And He healed them all. He healed them all. The great multitudes, we know uh, that among the multitudes were, were disciples, that those that He loved. It didn't only include them, but this, this also, you know, Jesus, he, he also healed those that were in His inner circle. You remember, uh, Simon Peter had a mother-in-law who was sick. He healed her as well. He, he prayed and ministered to everyone. Uh, but just think about Jesus here. His love, His concern... For the multitudes, these are not just His disciples. This kind of love that, that sees a need in the humanity, in the brokenness, in physical ailments and illnesses all around. And He took the time to minister to them, to pray for them, to heal them, to restore them, to give them dignity and honor. To the woman who was 38 years with an issue of blood, that would have been uh, uh, not just a terrible physical illness, but it would also have made her unclean, unfit to worship in the temple. This issue of blood would have prevented her from worshiping the Lord and making sacrifices the way she wanted to. And Jesus took the time also to pray and minister to her. Mary Magdalene, checkered history, rejected by people of the religious order. And yet Jesus had time for her too. The lepers, people who would have to walk through, if they walked through a city, they'd have to walk through shouting, unclean, unclean. Never had the, the luxury of having someone physically touch them ever again in their whole life. Jesus, the Bible said, he, he touched them. He ministered to them. He prayed for them. This is the kind of love that Jesus showed. Are you staying with me? Fourthly, He loved people enough not just to minister to the multitudes, but also He had time to meet privately with those who were seeking truth. John chapter 3 is one of those famous meetings between He and one of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. This man came to Jesus by night and said to Him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs unless, you, unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Here's Jesus. How much does he love Nicodemus? Enough to take time out of his busy schedule to meet with him by night. Have a conversation. To speak and minister to him. To teach him. To show him the truth and whether or not he received it. Jesus, it doesn't matter to him. He says in the moment, I'm willing to 
to meet with you, to minister. And we have one of the most precious chapters in the Bible because of Jesus' love for a Pharisee named Nicodemus. What else does this love look like? Jesus' love looks like a willingness to rebuke those who are in error. Mark 8, 31. Here's Jesus beginning to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days to, be, to rise again. He spoke this openly and Peter began to rebuke him. Remember, Peter, a disciple. Jesus loved Peter enough to tell him when he was wrong. No, no, Peter, you got this wrong, buddy. Verse 33, he turned around, looked at his disciples. He rebuked Peter saying, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Peter, you're wrong. You know, love is willing to correct also. The way that I have loved you, you need to love one another. Keep that in the back of your mind as you're hearing these. Get behind me, Satan. You are not mindful. Jesus was willing to rebuke. And remember that the Lord chastens those who He what? Those He loves. A rebuke is a kindness to the heart that is willing to hear it. Jesus also loved enough to show them patience without wavering. John 13, 1. Jesus knew the hour had come that He should depart from this world having loved His own who were in the world. Listen to this phrase. He said, He loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. You know what that means? With all of their faults and failures, all their stupid comments, all of their laziness and fear, all all the things they didn't understand. And yet Jesus said, you know what? To the end, guys. I'm with you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to care about you. I'm going to make sure. Jesus said, Love one another the way that I've loved you to the end. He loved them enough, of course, to die for them. Even while they were betraying Him. Here's Peter denying that he even knows the Lord, swearing a curse against himself, saying, no, you got got a mistake. The rooster crowed. This is Luke 22, 60. But Peter said, I don't know what you're saying. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Think of that love. Jesus, hearing the rooster crow, makes eye contact with the man who is now betraying him. And he's going to the cross for him. The way that I've loved you, I want you to love one another. He loved them. Enough to restore them after their failures. Thomas, come here, buddy. Put your hand in my wound. Put your fingers in the prince. Come on, Thomas. I want you to believe. Peter, do you love me? The side of the, of the Sea of Galilee, cooking breakfast. Do you love me? Do you love me? This was Jesus restoring Peter after a great failure. He loved them enough that He was not going to abandon them and let them continue in their self-pity. No, I love you enough. You've got to be restored. You've got to continue. And finally, He loved them enough to trust them with His kingdom that He had established. One person said that the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performed was that He left after three years. Three years, that's not a long time. Three years of ministry, and poof, he's gone. 
Acts 1, verse 9. When he had spoke these things, they, while they watched, he was taken up. A cloud received him out of their sight. He said, I'm loving you enough that I'm going to trust you with this church. It's in your hands. As I've loved you, so you would also love one another. So does that define the kind of love that we have for one another here this morning? The kind of love that is willing to call and receive the lost. The kind of love that teaches and preaches to people who may not understand. The kind of love that heals the sick and restores the broken. The kind of love that is willing to take time out of your personal life to meet privately with those who are truly seeking the kingdom. The kind of love that is willing to do the awkward rebuke and correction many times that is necessary in the church. The kind of love that will patiently endure even when people are making mistakes. The kind of love that will sacrifice even through betrayal. The kind of love that will pray fervently for people. The kind of love that you're willing to die. Not for your kid, not for your spouse, but for your brother and your sister. No matter what their political persuasion or color of their skin. I'm willing to die for the brethren. I'm willing also to put the kingdom of God into their hands and trust them. It's getting quiet in here. This is the kind of love that Jesus said, this is the kind of love that you should have for one another the way that I've loved you. This is the love that is the best advertisement that the church could ever have. When the world sees it, they will say, then people are crazy. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. This is different than what the world understands. The salt which has flavor, the salt which has a a penetrating power, the salt that you just put a little sprinkle into a big big, uh, uh, jar of whatever it is, a big uh, boiling pot of soup, man, and you can taste the difference. Jesus said, you put a little sprinkle of this in any situation, you can taste the difference. You can know. You are the light of the world that even if we turned off all the lights and covered up all the windows and it was pitch black in this building right now, you could strike up a single match and everyone here would be able to see it. It has the power to penetrate the darkness into every corner of the dark room. You are the light of the world. What is that salt? What is that light? What is the thing that makes us different? and unique, and powerful, and potent. It is the love that we have for one another, which is the same love that Christ had for His disciples. There is no greater magnet that the kingdom has to attract a lost world. And let me also say that there is no greater repellent to the kingdom when this kind of love is missing. When the church becomes a game of politics, when the church becomes simply a ladder to race to the top of ministry standards, when the church becomes nothing more than, uh, than me and my little tribe and my little group of people who's, uh, we're comfy with one another, uh, us four and no more, when the church becomes uh, uh, nothing more than just another, uh, an, another political party shouting hoorah-rah for, for the, uh, the politician of the hour, 
when the church becomes nothing more than just another club down the road, a moose lodge, sports club. When the church is that, guess what we, be, we do to an unbelieving world? We push them away. Don't come here because we're the same as everywhere else. The thing that is supposed to set us apart, the thing that is supposed to make us attractive is the love that we have for one another. Are you all with me? It begins in the home. A church is not much more than a collection of families that come together. We become a larger family, but it begins in a family at home. You don't have to have this, the traditional nuclear family to have this kind of love for one another. You can have this in a single-parent home. You can have this in a non-traditional home. You can have this even if you've been divorced. Don't think I'm not preaching to you. Every person here, you can exhibit the love of Christ toward your family members. That's where it begins. If, doesn't it say charity begins at home? If one cannot care for the members of his own household, how does he think he's going to be a minister of the gospel in the church? It begins in the home. Some of us, yeah, we shout, hey, amen, pastor, love one another. And then we go home and we are spouting curse words at the people that we care about most. And the place on earth where we act least like a Christian is the place where you are surrounded by the people who are closest to you. There's something wrong with that picture. I've, as I have loved you, so you should love one another. It begins in the home, it begins there, but then it, it, as, a, as a church community, as a group of families come together, listen, we've got to exhibit this toward one another, but let's take it one step further, that, that we have a larger community, that how are we supposed to be uh, what the world notices unless the world can see us? We've got to live lives that are on display. You don't have the luxury of being an anonymous Christian. Sometimes we tease people who wear the church merch, you know, got the, got the big old Jesus on the front. You know, and, and uh, it, it's funny sometimes. But you know what? I have respect for people who are living their faith out loud. You never know how that can inspire a conversation. You never know. You know, uh, faith obviously is not just putting a bumper sticker on your car. But you know what? That'll, that'll, that'll make you think before you cut somebody off in traffic. If it says, I love Jesus on the back. Because we're supposed to be people who love one another and care about our community. This is the thing that sets us apart. I want to close with two scriptures. One of the parables that Jesus told, and I'm not going to take credit for this. I heard it in a revival when I was a new convert but it's one that has helped me over the years. Jesus told a parable in Matthew chapter 13 where he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to the shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels but threw the bad away. Somebody said, a dragnet. I think there was a TV show called The Dragnet. Yeah, that's right. What is a dragnet? It is literally a net that was designed by fishermen to drag across the bottom of a sea. That's what it's designed for. They throw it out and keep connected by a rope, and then they're dragging it across the bottom of the sea. And it picks up everything that it finds there. And those fishermen, what they do is they'll, they'll pull, pull the dragnet up to the boat, and then they're going to look through it and say, that's trash. Ooh, this one's good. That's yucky. Ooh, that smells nice. Can't wait to eat this one. 
Ugh, that makes me want to puke. The, the, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like the net that is dragging across the bottom of the sea, picking up all kinds of weird stuff. That is a picture of the church. The church is the net that is dragging across the surface of this wicked world. Sometimes we pick up a few nasty stuff. Sometimes there's people that we don't approve of that look, ugh, yuck. Sometimes there's a few we pick up that's, ooh, that's a keeper. Got to hang on to this one. It's not our job to judge which is which. The church is the dragnet. But here's the point. What is a dragnet? It is a bunch of ropes tied together. Those ropes, if you just took 50 ropes and dragged them behind a boat, would that catch anything? If you had 500 ropes and dragged them across the bottom, would that catch anything? It doesn't matter how many ropes we're talking about. The strength of the net is in the knots. You have a thousand knots that are connecting 50 different ropes. And the strength of that net is when those knots can hold together. That that gives it effectiveness to pull the catch from the bottom of the sea. The church is the dragnet. And how do we catch the lost? We've got to be tied to another. The strength of our relationships is what makes us effective in an unbelieving world. Are you with me? Are we just a net full of holes? Because I've got my three people that I like and I don't talk to anybody else. Because I've got my two people that I pray for, but I'm not going to talk to those people. And what do we become? We become a dragnet. Or we become the anonymous church where we show up for a service here or there but never talk to anybody, and then we become 500 loose threads that don't accomplish much. And we hope that the church is going to have a good Facebook advert to catch a few people. The strength of the church is our relationships, is our friendships, is our, is our marriages, our families. It's the way that someone can see the love of God on planet Earth. We're supposed to be compelling. Luke 14, 23. Another parable Jesus told, and He said, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them. Say the word compel. Compel them to come in that My house may be filled. What is compelling to a lost world? What is compelling? What about the church is compelling? I'll tell you what. If the church tries to compete, by entertaining the world, we're going to fail. The world is really good at entertainment. The world is really good at movie theaters and concerts and lights and smoke and amazing things and spectacle and, and uh, uh, pleasing the eye. If the church tries to compete, we will fail. If all we try to do is entertain people into the kingdom. Maybe we think we can organize people into the kingdom. Maybe we can present a compelling argument just by uh, keeping our Excel spreadsheets in order and having a program. I think this morning the most compelling witness that we have is this, the love that we have for one another. You cannot express that love without reaching out to people around you. It's the kind of love that doesn't wait to be loved first. It's the kind of love that reaches out. Well, pastor, I would love people, but I've been hurt. Guess what? We've all been hurt. 
Jesus was loving them while he was being betrayed by them. Your hurt is not your excuse. The same way that Christ loved you is how we're supposed to love one another. It's the love that reaches out, the love that doesn't wait to be loved first. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't wait for you to love him first before he loved you? No, while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for the ungodly. This is radical. This is not of the world. The love of, if the love of the world is in you, then the love of the Father is not. Do you see what I'm talking about this morning? Do you see how this can radically revolutionize your life, but also the church of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God? The same way that I've loved you is how you ought to love one another. I believe God would challenge some people this morning. You've withdrawn. You've pulled back. You said... You, He said, I don't want to be connected with any of those people. God needs us. He needs us to be tied together. He needs us to be able to trust one another so that we can compel a lost and dying world. We can't claim to love Jesus. We can't claim to love sinners. We can't claim to be World Evangelism Sunday if we can't care for our brothers and our sisters, for our families, for the people that God has put in our orbit the way that he has loved us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We'll bring this service to a close. I am so grateful for the opportunity. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, Premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.